0: Good afternoon! All right, Merry Christmas again. Uh, Japanese is very easy to say Merry Christmas. It's just Merry Christmases. So uh, if you don't know Japanese, there's your Japanese lesson for the day. Um, it is really great uh, to be here with you all uh, today as we uh, celebrate the birth of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, our Emmanuel Jesus Christ. Um, you know, we were, we had our Leadership meeting and planning out the month of of December and we were like okay Christmas is on a Sunday this year what are we going to do um, and there was like well we'll do Christmas Eve service we'll do Christmas Day service and and maybe people will go to one or the other or maybe they'll go to both maybe they won't go to we it was really we did not know what to expect so just to see a, a full room here of people. Have gathered to worship the Lord. It really ministers to my heart just your presence. So thank you uh, for coming out here. I do hope and pray that you've all had a very blessed Christmas morning, that you've enjoyed uh, participating in whatever traditions you and yours have uh, for this very special time of year. Um, As I mentioned, I'm just blessed to be here uh, to see that so many of you have come and uh, set aside time to worship the Lord. I want to also welcome those who are gathering with us uh, online, who can't make it here in person. Uh, I pray that the Lord ministers to you as you join with us uh, virtually. Um, You know, I know it is uh, cliche to say, uh, but uh, Jesus really is the reason uh, for this season without the Lord sending His one and only begotten Son to come and live among us and then uh, subsequently die for us. We would have nothing to celebrate uh, this day, and so... Uh, I'm glad to see that you guys have have come and and have really made worshiping Jesus a priority for your Christmas celebration. Now, normally we would dismiss the kids and let them go. Don't run off, kids. Um, Usually it's like they're waiting uh, for me to do that. We're going to stay together as a family. Uh, We do have the nursery available if you'd like. Um, If you need that, there's nursery and I believe the toddler classes as well. But our elementary kids, we're going to stay together um, and uh, do a family service. And so uh, we're going to keep the family together. Uh, the We're going to shorten up our time a bit this morning as well. The plan is to be complete by the end of the hour. Um, yeah, and so I know that trying to keep the kids' attention for more than that will probably be a Christmas miracle, you know, so. Um, but yeah, you know, our God is the God of miracles, so uh, we'll just have to wait and see what happens here uh, today. This afternoon, I'd like to draw our attention to some of the events that transpired after the birth of Christ. Uh, Last night, we sang songs, we read scriptures, reminding ourselves about the birth of Jesus Christ, but we left out some of the details for us to consider this afternoon. And this service will simply be about reminding ourselves of some of the events that surrounded our Savior's birth, and a few things that we can glean from them, and, and then we will complete our time uh, together. I'm sure some of you are very anxious uh, to get back home and continue the uh, festivities and celebrations you began the day with. Uh, maybe some of you guys got some toys you want to play with, um, or there's some stuff dads need to build, or, or something like that. Um, and so I'm aware of these things. Um, And so um, I'm sure that many of you uh, engaged in some gift giving and and gift-receiving as part of your Christmas celebration. It is a bit of a tradition for many on Christmas to engage in such things, whether you do so Christmas morning, I know some people who do Christmas Eve, um, or simply through various Christmas parties and other celebrations. Gift-giving has become a a significant part of the celebration of Christmas. And this afternoon, I want to look at the account in Matthew chapter 2 and consider perhaps why this has become part of our Christmas tradition. In Matthew chapter 2, we read about a group of individuals that came with gifts of their own to give to a very special person, and perhaps it's because of them and their example that we engage in gift-giving during this season. And so I want you guys to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, and then once you're there, I'd like to go ahead and ask you to rise to your feet in honor of the Lord and His Word. The title of our message this morning is, The Greatest Christmas Gift. Uh, I'm going to read through the first 12 verses of chapter 2, and then I'll pray over our time uh, together, asking God's blessings upon His Word and our service. So Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 states, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Father, we thank you for this uh, afternoon and the opportunity to gather together and open up your word and allow your word to speak to us. And Lord, just as our word is is open before us, we've opened and read, Lord, I pray that our hearts and our ears would be open as well to all that you would have for us to receive this uh, day. Lord, we do thank you again for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to celebrate today to acknowledge um, You and your coming for us, may you be glorified in our service. We ask and pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Our text starts off with a few different important facts surrounding the birth of Jesus, facts about uh, the location and the timing of Jesus' birth. We're given a, a landmarker of where Jesus was born in Bethlehem. We just sang, oh, little town of Bethlehem. We're given a time marker of when Uh, we're told that the birth of Jesus took place during the days of Herod the king. And not only do our opening verses give us some interesting facts about the birth of Jesus, they also introduce to us a group of very interesting people, uh, a group of wise men from the east. What do we know about these wise men? Uh, Some things we know for sure uh, because the Bible tells us so. Other things have been passed down as part of tradition and may be true or may not be true. Uh, we know that the Greek word used here for wise man is magos. Uh, we use the English word magi, magi uh, to describe them. The Greek word magos is used only six times in the entire New Testament. Uh, four of the six times it's used here in Matthew chapter 2 uh, when referencing these wise men. Uh, or your translation may read magi. The other two times this word's used, it's found actually in the book of Acts, chapter 13, when describing a false prophet. But there the word is actually translated as sorcerer. Um, and so the Septuagint, okay, which is actually the Old Testament that's written in Greek, it connects this word to the wise men of Babylon that's spoken of by the prophet Daniel. These wise men of Babylon were associated with astrologers and sorcerers, magicians, and those capable of interpreting dreams. We're told that these wise men were from the east, okay? Where in the east is debatable. Uh, Anything that was east of Israel is possible. Tradition says that the wise men were from the orient. However, this really doesn't help since orient really just means east, Um, As the East was being explored from Europe, it was referred to as the Orient or the East. As they explored further and further out, it became necessary to start distinguishing between the Near East and the Far East. The Far East would identify uh, Eastern and Southeastern Asia. Here in Japan, we are considered to be part of the Far East. The Near East, over time, became identified really as the Middle East, Okay, for all intents and purposes, the Near East and the Middle East are somewhat synonymous today. Okay, and so just exactly where did these wise men come from? The Bible doesn't say specifically, okay? All we can conclude definitively is that they came from somewhere east of Israel, okay? We note here in our text that these wise men, they knew about a coming king for the Jews, a messiah, The title, King of the Jews, was a clear reference to the Messiah, the promised and anointed one that was to come and bring freedom to the Jewish people. We're also told that they saw his star from their homes in the east. The fact that they were looking up at stars supports the idea that these men may have been astrologers of some sort, but we don't know. Something in the stars, though, as they watched them and mapped them out, perhaps indicated to them that a particular star was the king's star. Now, there was a prophecy mentioned in the Old Testament by Balaam in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, that connects the coming Messiah to a star. It reads, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. This star okay, that will come out of Jacob is a reference to David and his seed that will come after him, the Messiah. Now, whether or not they were aware of this prophecy, we don't know. Okay? If not, we're left to wonder what it was that clued them in to this star being the star, uh, or his star. The truth of the matter is, we just don't know for certain, okay? We're told that what their objective is, okay? Their goal in traveling from the east was that they came to worship the king of the Jews. And now this is something that's a bit strange to read, okay? It is strange to read about people from the east coming to worship a king from Israel, you know, every indication is that these men were not Jewish, okay? the So it would be odd for them to come and worship the king of the Jews, okay? And also, uh, they know it to be a baby, okay? Most babies were that were royalty were first identified as princes. Their fathers were the kings. But yet, the fact that a newborn child would be worshipped as a king, that's a little bit odd as well, and it ought to Make us kind of scratch our head a little bit, maybe ask some questions. Though we are given some good details here, some facts pertaining to these wise men and their coming, uh, the text still leaves us with a lot of unanswered questions that they pique my interest at least. You know, how is it that men from the East would know about the Messiah? Right? How is it that they would know about a star that would indicate the Messiah? And, and why would Gentiles come to worship a Jewish child as king? You know, I can't say absolutely, okay? but I do believe there is a strong possibility that the prophet Daniel may play a huge role in understanding the presence of these wise men. As previously mentioned, the same Greek word used for the wise men in Matthew is found in the book of Daniel in the Septuagint. And there in the book of Daniel, we read about a different group of wise men that were in Babylon who were called upon to give an interpretation to a dream that the king of Babylon had. Not only did they have to give the interpretation of the king's dream, but they also had to tell the king what his dream was. You see, the king didn't even tell these wise men what his dream was about, but yet he called upon them to not only tell him his dream, but also give the interpretation of that dream. And when none of the wise men were able to even tell the king his dream, let alone interpret it, he ordered that all of the wise men in the land be killed. And among these wise men was a Jewish captive and his friends, Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. Daniel and his friends were enlisted as part of the wise men of Babylon, and they were sentenced to be killed along with the other wise men. And when Daniel found out about this order from the king, he asked the king for a little bit of time to tell the king his dream and the interpretation. He went back to his friends and they sought the Lord together. And the Lord gave the revelation to Daniel and he went before the king and he said to the king, the secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But There is a God in heaven who reveals secrets and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. And Daniel goes on to tell King Nebuchadnezzar all the details of his dream and its interpretation. And when it was all said and done, King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel and declared, truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets since you could reveal this secret. The king then promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel would have been seen as a hero to all of the wise men of Babylon for saving their life from the death sentence that was pronounced upon them by the Babylonian king. And as a hero and a chief administrator over all the wise men, it's not hard to believe that Daniel may have had a considerable amount of influence over them. Of course, Daniel's involvement is my speculation, okay? Uh, We can't make a definitive point of that. The Bible doesn't tell us this explicitly. However, having Daniel inserted into the speculation does help to maybe shed some potential light on the subject as to why these men would come to worship the king of the Jews. And so these wise men, they've come from the east seeking out the king of the Jews. They're wanting to worship him. They first enter the city of Jerusalem and they start asking around, seeking after the king of the Jews, but all they end up finding is Herod the king, who's ruling over Jerusalem at the time. And we're not going to get into all the details of Herod and his response to the wise men seeking Jesus. Uh, Time simply won't allow us to do so uh, this afternoon, Uh, nor will we consider the religious leaders in their response. I really want to simply focus in upon these wise men, and see what else that we can glean from them in their search for the King of the Jews. Because we're told of how the star they initially saw in the sky in the east, it led them to a particular house in Bethlehem where the child Jesus was located. And we're told in verse 11 that when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Here we see as part of the celebration of Jesus's birth that gifts were given to the Lord. And for the rest of our time this afternoon, I want to consider these gifts that were given and what they tell us about Jesus. We're going to consider three main things about these gifts. Number one, we're going to note what the gift was. Number two, we're going to note potential reasons as to why the gift was given to Jesus. And then number three, finally, I want to suggest ways in which we can give similar gifts to Jesus this Christmas season. And so three things, okay? What was given, why it was given, and how we can give similar gifts to Jesus this year. First off, we see that the wise men presented Jesus the gift of gold, okay? Most of us know what gold is, right? Um, gold as uh, a precious metal. It was the most valuable of all the metals during, the time, during this time. Gold was used in many different ways. It was collected as treasure. It was uh, melted down into jewelry and ornaments. It was even used to overlay idols within the land as part of uh, idolatry. Uh, we also see many references in the Bible to its use as decor in places of worship. And so that's what gold is. We, we understand that. Most of us know what gold is, right? But why was gold given to Jesus? Let me suggest two possible reasons why they would give gold to Jesus. You see, gold was a gift you would give to a king, a perfect gift for Jesus as the king of kings. In the Old Testament book of 1 Kings, we read of how the queen of Sheba brought forth a gift of gold to King Solomon. Also in 1 Kings, we read that some 666 talents of gold were brought to King Solomon every single year as king over the land. And so gold was also the gift that you would give to the Lord. In Ezekiel, Joel, and Haggai, okay, the Lord is quoted through these prophets as saying that gold belonged to him. Gold was most worthy for use in worship. Many tons Of it were used in connection with the temple and the worship that transpired there. Gold was used to overlay the temple itself along with the floor. It was used to make the sacred utensils that were part of the worship there in the temple. Gold was used to overlay both the ark and the tabernacle. The Israelites themselves would give gold unto the Lord as a dedication. And so we see that gold was a great gift to give to Jesus as the Son of God, the Lord of Lords. And so the third thing we want to look at this, how can we give a similar gift of gold to Jesus? Again, I'm going to suggest two ways for you to consider. First thing I will suggest is that we can give this kind of gift to the Lord through our faith. In the New Living Translation, 1 Peter 1.7 tells us that our faith is far more precious to God than mere gold. We can give something actually more precious to God than gold. We can give him our faith. Our faith is actually valued more to God than gold. And the second thing I will suggest is that we can give Jesus our fruitfulness. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 tells us that one of the ways we can build on the foundation of Jesus Christ is with gold, gold. Building on the foundation of Jesus Christ, it represents for us our works, our own fruitfulness. And so uh, God created us in Christ Jesus for good works, and those good works are designed to glorify our Father in heaven. And really these two gifts, they actually coincide with each other, faith and fruitfulness. They're interleaved uh, within our walk with Jesus. You really cannot have one without the other. My encouragement to us all is that our faithfulness and our fruitfulness would be seen as gifts we can give in worship towards our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, the second gift that's mentioned is the gift of frankincense. What is frankincense? Well, some of you uh, essential oil peoples know this, Uh, but... Frankincense uh, is an odorous uh, resin. It's obtained by incisions in the bark of a tree. Frankincense is actually derived from a word that means whiteness uh, or to be white. Uh, and, and we often know the color white often represents purity. Uh, frankincense was primarily used for making incense for burning in the temple. It would also be used in the grain offering and would sometimes be given along with the burnt offering. However, Interestingly enough, it would never be used in a sin offering. Frankincense was reserved for things that were pure, things that were holy unto the Lord. And so why was frankincense given to Jesus? Frankincense, you guys, was a gift you would give to a priest. Another perfect gift for Jesus Christ as he came as our great high priest. The priests would offer sacrifices to purify the unclean, and they would make intercession unto God for the people. Hebrews chapter 7, 25 through 28 reads, therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. Who does not need daily, as those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's? For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weaknesses, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. You know, these verses tell us some wonderful truths about Jesus, how Jesus is able to save to the uttermost, how he lives to make intercession for us, how he offered up the ultimate sacrifice once and for all. Jesus Christ is our perfect high priest, and so frankincense was a a very fitting gift to give to him. So how do we give this kind of gift to Jesus? I'm going to suggest two very simple ways. First and foremost, I suggest to you that we can give this kind of gift through our prayers. Hear the heart of the psalmist in Psalm 141. He says, Lord, I cry out to you, make haste to me, give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. Let my prayer be set before you as incense. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, we read that the elders who were before the Lord had golden bowls full of incense, and we are told that they were the prayers of the saints. Prayer is such an easy gift to give. It costs you nothing but a little bit of time and energy. Second, I think we can give this kind of gift to the Lord through our purity. Frankincense was white. It represents purity. The blood of Jesus Christ washes us, makes us white as snow. We can give Jesus the gift of living a life of purity before Him. In this world, there are temptations, all around, that want to strip us of our purity, to defile us and make us think that we have no value to the Lord. Do not allow yourself to fall to the temptation. Commit your life and your purity to him, and he will strengthen you against the temptations of this world. The third and final gift the wise men presented to Jesus was myrrh. What is myrrh? Well, Myrrh is an uh, aromatic gum resin that comes from a type of shrub. The word myrrh actually comes from a root uh, meaning bitter. Um, Through the scriptures, we see it used in different ways. It was used as an ingredient in anointing oil, applied as perfume, and uh, placed in clothes to deodorize them. However, its main use was for the embalming of dead bodies. Um, John chapter 19, verses 39 and 40 tell us of how Nicodemus came to embalm the body of Jesus Christ after he died upon the cross for the sins of this world. Nicodemus took the body of Jesus and purposed to embalm it with myrrh and aloes and to wrap it in linens, as was the Jewish custom of the day, for burial. And so why would the wise men bring myrrh as a gift to Jesus? You guys, myrrh was a gift you would give for the burial of a body. It doesn't seem to fit here as a gift for a a newborn child. And I suggest to you that the gift of myrrh was given to Jesus to symbolize his death and burial. You know, it is said that Jesus Christ is the only person ever born to die. And that's a, a common phrase, right? Born to die, you know, rebellious bikers, you know, they got that tattooed on their backs or something like that. Born to die, a rebel. But no, Jesus is actually his purpose, He was born to die. That was his mission. In coming in the likeness of man, and coming in the form of a defenseless baby, came to ultimately die for us. And so many things about the birth of Christ points to his death. The myrrh that was given. The swaddling cloths that he was wrapped in. It, It speaks of the strips of linen that his body would be wrapped in. The stone manger he was laid in, representing the tomb his body would be laid in. They all speak and they point to the death. There's so many things about the birth that symbolize there's a mission that's pointing to his death. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross for our sins. That was his purpose, and that's why he was born unto us. He was born unto us that he might die for us. Now, how can we give this kind of gift to Jesus this Christmas? Well, as I've Already talked about, we've highlighted, myrrh often represents death. The Bible tells us in Romans to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service, according to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. In Romans chapter 6, we're exhorted to reckon ourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus himself told us in Matthew's gospel that he who loses his life for my sake will find it. How do we give the gift of myrrh? by completely giving our lives to Him in surrender and service. Give your life to the Lord. I believe this is the best gift we could ever give Him. It is what He longs for most of all, is us. Give yourself completely to Him. He came for us, so surrender yourself completely this Christmas. You know, these wise men, they serve as a wonderful example for us today, okay? three things that really stand out to me, okay? One was they were persistent in their seeking after the Lord, right? Number two, they humbled themselves. They worshiped the Lord. And number three, they offered what they had. They brought these gifts and they gave them to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we too should do the same. We should keep seeking the Lord all of our days. Don't be satisfied with good enough when God has plans for greater things, don't grow weary in your pursuit of the Lord. There will be roadblocks along the way. Okay? Keep moving forward. Keep seeking after Him. Remember to humble yourself before the Lord on a regular basis and fall before Him in worship. And remember the gifts that were given and how we can offer similar gifts to Him in our own lives today. These wise men surely knew how to give good gifts And they are a great example to us and for us. However, they are not the best gift givers. That spot is secured for God and God alone. God gave the most perfect gift when he sent his son to this earth in the form of a babe. And that is why we celebrate Christmas, because of the gift God sent to us some 2,000 years ago, the gift of his son sent for us. And my hope is that you would receive God's gift to you, that you would receive Christ into your life and you would know the joy of receiving the greatest Christmas gift ever given to mankind. God has given the greatest gift, but it is our responsibility to receive the gift to ourselves, to open the gift. I'm sure many of you kids opened presents this morning. I'm sure... You woke up mom and dad extra early (laughs) with great anticipation and great excitement to open up the gifts that were given to you. I know that it wasn't just at my house. (laughs) How silly would it be for us to be given a gift, such a great gift too, the best Christmas gift ever imaginable, but never bother to receive it ourselves. Never bother to open it up and to enjoy the blessings that are inside, right? Can you imagine such an absurdity? Right, I get you this amazing gift, and you're like, thank you so very much. And you just you just leave it there. You never open it. You, you never receive. Thank you so much for the gift. Man, what a you're a great gift giver. And but then you never open it up. You never partake of it for yourself. I know that that would never happen in our household. (laughs) They see those gifts and they want to, you know, tear into them. Boaz, especially, (laughs) was very excited this morning. (laughs) But we could do that sometimes when it comes to the Lord. God gave us his son. How silly it would be for us to just be like, oh, thanks God, but never really partake of it. Never really receive it to ourselves and and to enjoy it to its fullest. My prayer for us is that we will all know the joy and the satisfaction that comes with receiving God's gift into our lives. Amen? Amen? Amen. Look at that. I did it. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the precious gift of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you sent him for us. Lord, we thank you that we get to celebrate his coming, remembering him coming in the form of a babe. But Lord, ultimately, we know that it was his death upon the cross, his resurrection from the, the dead, Lord, that gave us the opportunity to be reconciled with you, that gave us the opportunity to receive this gift for ourselves. And so, Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the life he lived and the life he gave for us. And Lord, I pray that we would receive that life into our own lives. Lord, that we would give back unto you, unto Jesus, our very lives. That we would surrender to you wholeheartedly, without reservation, knowing the joy there is in receiving the greatest gift ever given. And so, Lord, we pray you'd continue to minister to our hearts, continue to stir our hearts for you as we continue our celebration, the remainder of this day. Lord, I pray that you'd still remain at the forefront, that you'd be glorified in all that we do and say. We give you our lives. We give you everything that we can in worship. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.